There is a twist of irony when one person condemns another person, even when the accusation against that person is correct. If you do not guard your heart when you critique those who are doing wrong things, you may forget that you, too, are not a guilt-free person. And if you do forget this basic universal truth, you'll become guilty of the very things that you accuse others of doing. This scenario is playing out a zillion times in our country today. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. If you want to read this Your Daily Drive podcast, you're welcome to do that. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for this title, The One Thing That Is Worse Than Admitting You're a Racist. I would love for you to read this article and share it with your friends. It would be fantastic if you had a conversation with a few of them about this. It's just that important. We continue to get requests and comments and questions about the current turmoil in our country, and it is a complicated matter, and there is no question about it, and it will not be easily decided or easily resolved. There are so many angles to it. It's not just black and white. It's not just straightforward. And that's why I've been writing a few articles over the past few weeks, and I've done several podcasts. Many of you have listened to them and have shared them widely, and I'm so thankful that you have done that. I look at this problem like a a piece of pie with so many different pieces in it. I know it would be simpler for all of us if we could just say this is the issue and this is how that you resolve it, but it's just not that way. But that's like virtually all problems. And again, that's why I've been writing about it recently, and I've been writing from different angles. I have a few articles here inside this article. If you want to read some of those other angles, because if you just jump on this podcast, if this is the only article or the first article that you read, you might think that this is my total answer uh, to this problem of racism in our country, and it's not. Again, it's complicated. And so I have articles here. One of them I just, just finished a few days ago. It's called Thinking About Those Who Are Not Like You. It it. It, it actually did better than I anticipated on social media, and I'm very grateful. And then another one that did just as well, the new slave owner is a liberal paternalistic government. And so in those two articles, you can hear the differences. One is where you're assessing yourself as you're looking down on other people or judging people who are not like you. The other is addressing this this problem that this dependent class that our the liberal part of our government has created. And then there's an article here, What is Gaslighting, Its Effects, and How to React to It. I wrote that article because I've had a few requests from folks that they just struggle with being called a racist at every turn when they don't believe that they are. Well, that's a basic definition of gaslighting. And then there's a fourth one here, Racism, the New Unpardonable Sin. And I want to add this article into the mix as another slice of this problematic pie that we're all looking at today. Again, the title of this podcast, The One Thing That Is Worse 
than admitting you are a racist. I want to go back in time, if you don't mind, by giving you an illustration. Do any of you remember Donald Sterling? Donald Sterling, uh, he's 80-something years old now, still alive, and he owned an NBA team. The team is the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, used to be the San Diego maybe, but they've been around for a long time, and Donald Sterling owned this NBA team. And there was a media storm over some racist remarks he allegedly made, remarks recorded and turned over to TMZ, and then from there they went, well, you know, they they went public. Uh, this was, I don't know, six, seven years ago. Time flies, but uh, it wasn't that long ago. And so he lost his basketball team. Steve Ballmer uh, bought the team. Steve Ballmer retired, I believe, from Microsoft, where he made a ton of money. And so he bought himself a basketball team. And I'm not, again, I'm not sure how Sterling is doing today. But during that firestorm, Mark Cuban. He is the owner of another NBA team, the Dallas Mavericks. Well, he weighed in on racism, and this is what he said. He said that we're all racist in some form or fashion. And so now what we have here, in one corner we have Donald Sterling, who made some racist comments, and the firestorm began. And then we have Mark Cuban, another NBA basketball owner, team owner, and he said, well, we're all racist. And Mark Cuban went on to stereotype stereotype black people with hoodies and white people with tats. His comment set off a a firestorm with ESPN, the talking heads, as they pushed his interview to the top of several of their shows, most of them, of course, condemning him for condemning him for acknowledging the universality of of racism. That's what he did. Now, the ironic reality of ESPN's perspectives was the prejudice they had toward folks who had prejudice. You may want to listen to that sentence again, and so I'll repeat it to you. The ironic reality to ESPN's perspectives was the prejudice they had toward folks who are prejudiced. It's a puzzle. They do not seem to perceive, presumably, because their discrimination against racist people is morally superior, I would presume, in their minds. And then enter Clay Travis from Fox Sports. He came into the fray, and he wrote a what I would say is a remarkable follow-up to what Cuban said and the ESPN talking heads. I have the quote here, and again, you can read everything I'm sharing with you in the article, and here's the quote from Clay Travis. He said, let's be honest. White people don't write or talk publicly about race unless it is to condemn people for being racist. It's easier that way, Travis says. The company line from most white people is this, racism is bad and we're not racist. In fact, most, most white people today fear being called racist more than just about anything in the world. How much so? Put it this way. If your average white person had to choose between getting arrested for a DUI or being publicly branded a racist, 
just about every single one of us would pick getting a DUI. That's right. We'd rather put countless lives in danger, go to jail, and face criminal charges than be, than be called a racist in America today. And that is Clay Travis from uh, Fox Sports. Now, this insight, his insight is, is striking. In a small way, I am a public figure. And, and what Travis said is not news to me. I have felt the impact of the power brokers who have more clout and more swagger than I do within Christianity, the arena in which I play. And there are high-powered people in every field, including Christianity. And if you speak out against their preferences, their people, or their politics, they may persuade others to turn against you. And again, I'm not seeking pity here at all, but that has happened to me on more than one occasion I am not for any racist comments from anyone, and that is not my point. And so I don't want you, because I know this is such a trigger-happy, volatile, emotional discussion that it's hard for people to, some people, to get the point that is being made here. And so I'll restate that. I'm not for racist comments from anyone. Not just comments. I'm not for racism. Racism is wrong a position that Christians believe. The point here is that there is a little bit of racism in all of us. This is what Mark Cuban was saying. The real issue is whether we will be humble enough and courageous enough to admit it. Now, that's what Travis was saying. We're not going to admit it because we will be publicly shamed. Uh, We will lose our jobs. We'll be blacklisted in some way. And so what you have in this scenario a few years ago, you had Donald Sterling, who made allegedly some racist comments. Okay, let's say for the sake of argument, he is a racist. And then you have another group of people who just publicly shame, condemn, take his team away from him, and do all kinds of punitive things. I'm not aware of anyone coming alongside him to help him with his bigoted views. And, and then you have Cuban who is saying that, well, we're all, there's a little bit of racism in all of us. And then you have Travis who's talking about the fear of just being honest, just being honest about who we are as human beings, regardless of the little bit or large bit of racism that is in all of us. The real issue is whether we will be humble enough and courageous enough to admit it. Travis explained it this way. He said, quote, it's 100% true. Every single person of every race and ethnicity judges people all day long based on how they look, how they walk, their mannerisms, what they say or do on social media. Oh, I, I, I get that. This doesn't bother me, by the way, but I, I get this all regularly with how I talk because I'm from the South. I've been called everything from a, a cracker to a booger eater to, you know, and then the conservative side, the Christian side of me, and then the way that I talk and the fact that I'm a Christian, well, I'm doubly damned by some people. And so what he's saying here is very true. We do this all day long, he says. If you doubt me, Travis says, go read the comments on Instagram or Twitter. 
break down what's being said to its root essence, and the vast majority of the time is a value judgment of one sort or another. We're all tribal, seeking to classify people as either with us or against us. It's impossible to avoid judging people. We're biologically wired to do so. But we're also smart enough to be conscious of our thoughts and examine whether they are legitimate. That's Clay Travis. And so now the argument is moving just a little bit from racism to class prejudice. This is what Clay is talking about here, class prejudice. You, you, can, throw, you, can, throw that, you can throw in that problem as one of our universal sins, too. Not just racism being a universal sin, but also class prejudice. There are certain kinds of people we tend to look down on irrespective of their skin color. Even if we are not racist, we struggle with class envy or class disdain. Paul talked about it this way, about the problem and the lack of wisdom in doing that. He says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. He's saying they are an unwise person who, if they do this, this American life, the podcast, they aired one a few years ago that I did listen to, and it's called Americans in Paris. I have a link here of that podcast, that interview, if you want to listen to it. It's, 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 uh, it's insightful and instructive. The last act, they do several acts in their show, and the last act of their show was about a black American. Her name was Janet McDonald. She has passed away since then, but she moved to Paris, and she stayed there for the rest of her life. And part of the reason that she moved to Paris was because French folks didn't treat her the way Americans treated her when she lived in the States. But irony to her surprise. After acclimating to the Parisian way of life, she learned there was another kind of prejudice that was not black, but class. She had a discussion with Cornell West about this, and she shared in the American Life podcast what Cornell West said to her. This is a quote from Janet McDonald. She said, quote, Basically, he, Cornell West, suggested it was a class thing. And he said, well, you know, look at you. You are professionally articulate. Maybe if you brought 15 of your cousins to Paris from Brooklyn, it would be a whole different thing. So basically, he was saying, if I brought all my homegirls from the hood, like who didn't go to Vassar, and weren't lawyers and didn't speak French, you know. The reception might be a little chillier, even though they're also black Americans. I think if that is true, then it's not about racism, but it is about class. And so that just, I said earlier in the podcast that this is a complicated problem. It is a piece of pie with a lot of slices, and some of those slices are very thin. 
and we're not going to be able to address this problem of racism in our culture in a straightforward and direct manner because now there is this thing called class, class envy, class disdain. And this is what Mark Cuban was talking about. It's what Clay Travis was talking about. And so now the question becomes for you and me is, well, what kind are you? Are you a racist or a classist or both? Do you divvy people up by skin color? Or are there particular types of individuals, behaviors, and attitudes you look down on and separate from them regardless of the color of their skin? Maybe it's the guy standing on the street corner with a sign asking for food. Perhaps it is an obese woman with five children delaying you in Walmart because you cannot find, because she cannot find all her food stamps, you know, the ones you the ones you paid the government for so she could stand in line and hinder you. What kind of person stirs your self-righteous heart? I'm not judging you. I ask what should be an obvious question because we all have someone we look down on from our high chairs. Would you say the doctrine of sin has not touched you this way? Have you successfully overcome what the Lord did in Genesis 11 when he separated people and created languages? Mark Cuban is right. We all classify people. The question should not be whether we discriminate, but whether we can talk about how we do it. And and that's why I titled the podcast, The One Thing That Is Worse Than Admitting You're a Racist. And I've used this this story of Donald Sterling, who apparently is or was, I don't know how he's doing today, but was a racist, and there was so much punitive action leveled toward him. I mean, that would scare the heebie-jeebies out of anyone to admit that you are a racist, and this is what Clay Travis was saying. I'd rather be arrested for a DUI and face criminal charges than to say that, I am a racist. It, it's you remember in uh, Luke eighteen, uh, where the Pharisee was standing there. He said, "God, I I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Do do you sit? Can you hear the superior superiority?" And what he is saying, this problem that I'm addressing here is not something outside the Christian experience as though we are a better group. We have no stones to cast. It is a significant issue within the church, a two-headed dilemma where Sterling's sin and Cuban's honesty highlight tensions in all of us. On one side, we want to stand up and speak out against one man's racism. And while on the other hand, we, we should have enough self-awareness to know and humility to admit that we are not any different, honestly, than the bigot. This, this was a realization that I came to years ago when I struggled with my relationship with my dad. He died when I was 19, six years before God regenerated me. We've never worked it out, couldn't work it out. Didn't have a template for working it out because I wasn't a believer, and neither was he, and so we were both flying blind. He was not just a 
bigot and a racist, but he hated me as well. And then I, the, the way that God worked in my heart to work out this anger that I had, even though that he was dead, was to realize the very truth that I just shared with you, having enough self-awareness to know and humility to admit that we are not all that different. And the truth is, my sins, quantitatively, consequentially, are different from my dad's sins. But the truth is, we're we're all cut from the same Adamic uh, cloth. If your first response is to punish a person for being honest, you'll send them underground, where the truth about their thoughts and their struggles will never see the light of day. If you go in public, shame someone for what they uh, did, and just going just uh, going to send them through this gauntlet of persecution for what they did. Well, other people are going to look at that, and it's like, huh, no, no way. Again, come back to the title of the podcast: the one thing that is worse than admitting that you are a racist. And so your first recourse can't be to punish someone for being honest because they will go underground. It is not wise to complicate a person's sin by disliking them in a mean-spirited way. Speaking against a person has its place. And so some people could listen to that and jump all the way over in the other ditch. Well, then you're saying we should never critique or condemn or speak out again. No, I didn't say that. If, if that's your take, you're not listening within context of what I'm saying. So let me try to help if that's your take. Speaking against a person has its place, but sinfully reacting to them, it makes us accessories to the future harm they may do to themselves or to others. The church and ESPN can be similar this way. We can be quick to condemn a person for being a sinner. Though I expect this from sports media, Christians can do better because we have the solution for humanity's sinfulness. I've counseled scores of people who were part of religious systems and institutions that punished them for sinning. I live in Greenville, South Carolina, and there's a popular Christian institution. It's small, but within Christianity, it's is popular within a, a certain sect of Christianity, and, and they have become infamous for punishing people for sinning. And, and so they give them demerits when they do something wrong, and they have people scoping them out and narking on them for when they do something wrong. And it, had, it, it traditionally, historically, it had more of a punitive feel to it. They're trying to, they have been trying to do a better job in these later later years, but there's been a lot of damage done to people who have been caught or found out, or even those who their conscience bothered them enough to where they would admit it. And so when they admitted their sin or or they were caught for their sin, either way, they were punished for sinning with no restorative impact or initiatives taken. And so rather than seeking redemptive means to restore them to God and to others, these organizations seem to be more about protecting the brand, keeping their team from contamination, and having no desire or no competency to enter into the sinner's problems, enter into the problem. The gospel came to draw us out by creating context of grace that encourages people to talk freely, transparently, honestly 
about who they are and how they struggle. And so the first step in being free from sin is a confession, speaking the truth about what is wrong with you. If you struggle with any form of hate toward anyone, well, you must talk to God first, asking him to forgive you and to root it out. Perhaps afterwards you need to pursue reconciliation with that person. It's not wise or appropriate to share your current sins with just anyone or everyone. There's no need to tweet your sins to the world but, but you should be in a context of competent helpers who can come alongside you to help you overcome the things that hinder you in your sanctification. The solution I'm suggesting is less about blaring your sins to the masses and more about being honest with a few people who can activate the one anothering into your life. You know the one another's in the New Testament. There's more than 30 of them. Love one another, encourage one another, admonish one another come alongside one another. What we must not do is condemn folks with no hope of them getting on the path to change. Problems have to lead to solutions, or those problems will metastasize into all sorts of complicating matters. And so here's the question for you. I'm bringing it down from a, a less of a, a global issue of racism or, or class classism that's going on in our culture and bringing it down to your living room as I wrap up this podcast. Do you have folks in your life where you can share vulnerably and honestly with them? If you don't sense that kind of freedom with your friends, well, f- f- here's what I want you to do. First, start by assessing yourself bef- before you talk about them and why you all can't be vulnerable and honest. Always start with the log in your eye. Are you doing something that hinders honesty? What are the things that distort an environment of grace in your relationships? How should you change? Again, start here before focus, focusing on what others should do. Prejudice is just one of the many ways someone can say, I don't like you. If your goal is a redemptive type activity in a person's life, you want to identify and remove whatever hindrances that keep you from being that way with them. Not just racism and classism. Whatever it is that drives a wedge between you and others, it has a condemnation element to it. There is no sense of condemnation with the Lord. And this news is good, and it releases you to come to him with all of your problems. You can go to God and talk to God. There is no condemnation. If Just confess God will accept and love you, and he will not condemn you. God will help you if you're honest with him. And, and then you want to imitate that with others. You want to imitate God with others. The list of individuals we can struggle with is as long as the differences between people. Who's on your list? Can you love the person who has hurt you, disappointed you? I talked about this with my father earlier. Hurt me tremendously. Disappointed me tremendously. Has not met my expectations. Can can you love the person who has hurt you, disappointed you, not met your expectations? I'm not asking you to become best mates. 
But if you cannot love them, then what is your response to the Savior's words in Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48? I'll share them with you as I wrap up here. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do you dislike black people? What about gays? How about those who have had an abortion? Do you disdain feministic, egalitarian women? What about your spouse? Do you have uninterrupted love for your spouse? How about your parents? There is a distinction between being against a person's sinfulness and against the person. I talked about that earlier. Yeah, you should bring rebuke when rebuke is needed. But I'm talking about the evil of disdaining certain types of people because they are fellow image bearers. People went too far with Donald Sterling, and I suspect if you brought his name up within certain people, uh, within an earshot of certain people, you would hear the, the hate that they would have for him. Hate the racism but he needs he needs God. He needs restoration. And this concept that I'm sharing with you that we're all image bearers, we all sin. We're all guilty of the same thing, honestly. It's different in degree and different in consequences. I understand that. But we're all fellow in, image bearers who, who struggle with all sorts of sin. And so this concept that I'm sharing with you is where the gospel should have the highest inflection point in our hearts. I have a call to action block here at the end of this podcast. You're welcome to jump on our website. You can read this article and answer those questions. Again, the title of the article, The One Thing That Is Worse Than Admitting You're a Racist. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If we can help you, let us know.